I got a question this morning, and I, I thought about making it an actual question with a show of hands, but I'm going to leave it rhetorical. You can do what you want with that, but here's the question. How many of you struggle with prayer? I'll raise my hand. I think uh, a lot of us do for different reasons, and uh, many of us have a hard time with, with what is prayer, and we're wondering, we have questions about it. What's its purpose? How effective is it? Why do we do it if God already does what God will do, and how does prayer work, and what it's all about? And so we have these kind of questions that we bring to it, but then we also sometimes struggle with how to do it. If we don't have the questions, then exactly what does it look like? What does it mean to pray? How do I do that? We might struggle even if we know how to do it with the discipline to do it. There's just all the different kind of levels of struggle that we can have with prayer, and then sometimes it just feels like a duty, um, and we might feel guilty about prayer because we're not praying, we think, like we should or as often as we should. So a lot of difficulty, challenge, and struggle, I think, around this question. And if you identify with any of that, we'll say you're in good company because the disciples themselves must have felt something like this. Some combination of what I just said about the struggle, some questions led them to this one question. There is no other question that we have a record of in the Gospels, no other question that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them about except this one. And they said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus did. And he modeled it for them. He gives them an example. And we're going to look at this prayer today with kind of a bird's eye view. We're going to kind of look at the, the big picture of it. And my hope is that by the end of today's sermon, you feel a little bit more able to pray, a little bit more encouraged, a little bit better, with a little bit better understanding of the God to whom we pray and how to draw near to him, not only with our words, but with, with our whole being. That's my hope in today's sermon so let's begin by stepping back and look at the big picture of this prayer. In this prayer, we see this, these two divisions. It's broken down in the first half and the second half into heaven and earth. In broad strokes, that's the breakdown. It's an, what you might call an integral prayer. This word integral, um, any Spanish speakers here? What do you call whole grain bread? Pan what? Integral, which is a word that relates to our word integrity, whole. There's, a, there's an integrity, an integral uh, prayer that we're shown here. It has the whole of the universe, the whole of, of experience, the whole of God and humanity. Heaven and earth are both represented. There's this unity of both of those in this prayer. We see a relationship not only between heaven and earth, but you could also you substitute some other words in there, between God and humanity, between spiritual and material. Together, these all make up this one reality. The Lord's Prayer shows us kind of this unity between these two that we often separate. So let me show it to you like this. Here's the first part of the prayer. At the beginning of the prayer, it goes like this. We say, we talk about Father. It's talking about God all at the beginning. Naming his holiness, that your name be holy, hallowed be your name, God. Your kingdom come, the summoning of your kingdom, affirming his will, God's will. This is the part that has to do with God, the heavens. 
Let's go to the next part. The second part of the prayer is concerned with our interests, and it looks more at our basic human needs, like bread to eat, our need to receive forgiveness and live in that freedom and extend forgiveness and live in that freedom and our temptations and the evil around us. And it takes into account this prayer, our experience, and it takes up who God is in himself. So these two parts form one prayer united in Jesus's model for us as an integral prayer. So in this prayer of Jesus, he's not just concerned, for example, on the one hand, with God's holiness, with God's kingdom, with his will, but he, and he's not just taken up with this kind of like incredible splendor, caught up, enthralled in the beauty of God, and just kind of staying up there, it comes down then and addresses our needs, our basic human needs for bread, for forgiveness, for protection from temptation and evil. And in the same way, in our prayers as Jesus models and Jesus' prayer, he's not just concerned with basic human needs, but also with God, the worship of God and the wonder of God and the naming of who he is and the recognition that his kingdom is how things ought to be here among us and calling upon that. So these two parts form a unity. The prayer for one, you could say, just rebounds into the other realm. We might start in one part of this, and if, we there, if we're there for a little while, it's going to bounce us into the other realm. And we don't want to get stuck in just kind of praying up here in a kind of rapture with God kind of a, a, a approach, nor stay down here where we're just thinking about our concerns in our prayer, but living in this world of those two being united. Holding these things together is the basis of all prayer. The Bible has a word for the person who lives between these two worlds. This world of God and the heavenlies, what we often call spiritual, and here on humanity, earth, what we often call the material, and we're using some ways to distinguish something there, but they're all a unity, and there's a word that the Bible has for the person who lives right in the middle of those two. That word is priest. A priest is a mediator. A mediator is literally a person in the middle, a person who, who resides right there between the two, and that person in the middle is just kind of is holding on to the world of the heavenlies and of God and what it means to be spiritual and material at the same time in the world of the earth and the concerns of our own lives and our families and the world around us. And holding on to both of those is the role of a priest. The priest offers up the world's concerns to God. Now, the Bible also has another word for church in the New Testament we, uh, we have this word church that we often refer to us. The body of Christ is another way of talking about it. Family is another imagery. But we are also called the royal priesthood. So you are a priest. Every single one of us is a priest. And the biblical call to the priesthood to be that person who is in the middle place between the heavens and the earth, that is a call that's not for me any more than it's for you. We're all called to that middle place 
of offering up the concerns of the world to God. Voicing creation's praise. There's a lot of psalms that talk about that, how, how the psalmist is taking up all the praise of all the things that God created and giving human articulation, voicing all of creation's praise to God. There's also this sense in which we gather up the sorrows, the pains, the grief, the violence, the conflict, the wounds and the hurts, the sins and the brokenness of this world. We gather that up and we offer that up as intercessors, as mediators, as priests of the world. That's who we are, church. We're priests of the world, offering the world up to him and the concerns of the world. Jesus is modeling priestly prayer right here. There's a really beautiful image that we get in Leviticus for this, going back to the priest, the Levitical priest, the first priest. And um, here's what it is. At that time, only the high priest could go into the holiest place, the holy of holies, and be right there in the presence of God. And even that couldn't do it just any time that they wanted. So the, the priest would go into the holy of holies. That priest would have a vest, and that vest was called an ephod. And on that vest were sewn 12 stones into the vest. And those 12 stones were sewn right here at the chest over the heart. And those 12 stones represented the tribes of Israel, the people of God. And so every time the high priest went into the very presence of God, the Holy of Holies, he literally carried the people on his heart into the presence of God. The Lord's Prayer shows you how to be a priest carrying the concerns of the world into the presence of God. Jesus, as the great high priest, does that himself and models it and says, this is what I'm calling all of you to, the life of prayer that I'm calling you to join me in. We are, we are riding Jesus' coattails into the Holy of Holies. Even as we pray, he has prayed before us. He has prayed even the very things that you are praying before you, and you're, you're following in his wake or on his coattails. Our ministry is none other than the ministry of Jesus, to participate with him in what he's doing in the world and to do what he's doing in prayer here. And this prayer starts because something is not the way it's supposed to be. Every prayer, your prayer life, my prayer life, it all starts because there's either something wrong in the world or something missing. We go into the presence of God either to say, uh, God, I am not full until I'm in your fullness. And there's this hunger and longing of the soul to be in the fullness of God. That doesn't necessarily have to mean there's something that's broken by sin and and. and Everything that's disrupted in this world is just this, we were made for the fullness of God and we want to be in his presence driven by this desire for his fullness. But then we also are driven into prayer because something's not the way that it ought to be. Something in our world. We want to either express our longing in our hearts for this world to be restored and redeemed or we want to say, God, in your presence, I bring a grateful heart to enter into your fullness and be united with you. Leonardo Boff is a Brazilian theologian. He says about 
this predicament or situation that gives birth to the Lord's prayer and ours. And he, he says this. This is a longer quote, so you can read along with me. He says, the reality encompassed in the Lord's prayer is not a pretty picture, but one of heavy conflict. Here, the kingdom of God confronts the kingdom of Satan. The Father is near. He is our Father. But he's also remote in heaven. Blasphemies are spoken in this world, which imposes on us the duty to sanctify God's holy name. The world is ruled by all sorts of evils that exacerbate our longing for the coming of God's kingdom, which is one of justice, love, and peace. The will of God is being violated, and we must give it concrete expression in our conduct. We pray for daily bread because there are many who do not have it. We ask that God forgive us our violations of fellowship so that we can forgive those who have offended us. And we pray for strength and temptation because otherwise we would fail miserably. We cry out to be set free from evil because otherwise we would turn our backs on the faith forever. And in the midst of all this conflict, the Lord's prayer preserves an aura of joyful confidence and serene commitment inasmuch as all of this is integrated into our encounter with the Father. It's this sense that something's incomplete or not right that is the logic and motivation uh, moving us in prayer to the presence of God. So wherever you have that, you have the first step of prayer. Something in you that's aware of an incompleteness, a longing, or some awareness of something that is actually broken and not the way it should be. You have the beginnings of prayer right there. So what we're going to do now, the rest of the, this morning, we're going to look at the prayer, looking at line by line, and um, some of these I'll spend a little bit more time on than others, but we're going to touch on each of the major kind of like thought movements in the Lord's Prayer. And I've organized this um, at the suggestion of N.T. Wright, not personally, he didn't tell me I should do this, but in one of his books, he says, there's a kind of natural seven-fold breakdown of the Lord's Prayer. What if you take each of those for a day of the week? So I've put them up as I go through them according to days of the week, and you, at the end of this, this will build out to all seven days. You could take a picture if you want at the end, and, and you might want to follow it this week and just practice prayer for one week this way. And so we're going to begin with the first line, our Father in heaven. And I'm just going to pause on the word our, because <laughs> that's a huge statement and a, a big word in the prayers. Our, this is a prayer that recognizes community, that none of us are so low if we are followers of Jesus, that even when we come to God in prayer, we're one body in prayer. When I am at prayer, there's a sense in which you're with me. And the church is at prayer. When you're at prayer, there's a sense in which the church is at prayer, even as you pray. So we pray our, the collective, one body. Many years ago, I was at a camp where they kept the hours, morning prayer, evening prayer, every day. And at this camp, there would be different people that would come through. There would be a lot of like church groups and retreats, but they would also have sometimes conferences and retreats. Other people can rent them out, but no matter, no matter what was happening, what was on the schedule, every single day of the year, they were committed to having morning and evening prayer, and they wanted a priest to lead it. And so one of the things they said is, is they put the word out to priests and said, if you will come and lead morning and evening prayer for the week, 
you can have a place to stay at the camp with your family. And so we had little kids at the time, and we were needing a time away. And so we took a week, went out of town, went to this camp, and I led prayer. Out of, let's say it was six days, 12 days of prayer, there might have been one, and there's a little beautiful little chapel where morning and evening prayer, out of those 12 times, I think there's one time where there was one other person present. And it was a really meaningful experience for me to show up in this principle of the church is going to be at prayer morning and evening every day in this place. The church is going to be at prayer. And no matter who shows up, I would stand and I would go through the whole morning prayer as if it was a full chapel and say every word out loud. And then I would go back to be with my family and come back in the evening and do the same thing. But it, it left this mark on me of this attitude and posture of prayer is not just a solo endeavor. Here's the flip side of that good news. When you're not praying and can't pray, someone else is at prayer. And they're carrying you with them into the presence of God on their heart. We do that for each other. So this word, our, just to kick off this prayer is a profound word. Father, this is the next word. I'm not going to go this slowly through the whole thing, I promise. But I'm going to say something about Father. <clears throat> the meaning of this name, Father, God is, what, is, what he's communicating here, Jesus is communicating, God is personal. God is loving. That's what that communicates. This is not a statement about God having a gender, because that's not really possible. God created male and female and so for God, the transcendent God, eternal God of the universe, to have a gender would mean that he was created somehow, and he did have a gender in the form of Jesus. He was a man upon the earth. But this is a way of referring to God as personal and loving, and it's a lot better than saying, our parent who art in heaven, and leaving it in a kind of abstraction that is not personal. And so God is a personal God who loves us, and he reveals himself in this word and in this relation of Father. God, of course, has in his being, in the being of God, is everything that we call mothering and everything that we call fathering and everything that we call male and everything we call female. All of those traits exist in God. And so as he created us, we have all these traits in him, but he has all of those. And there's images that, that speak to this, like he gathers us like a hen gathers the chicks under her wing, showing some of the nurturing aspects of who God the Father is, because he's all of it. But when he says, pray like this, he says, pray to me in a personal way. Pray to me in acknowledging that I am a loving and personal presence in your life, and I've given you this name for me. And so we pray as he has revealed himself to us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. So as we pray that, we might say, we might take this posture into before the throne of God. God, you are not only my Father, you are our Father. And I'm here on my behalf, and I'm here on behalf of others. And I recognize that your presence transcends this material world. You live everywhere and in no one place. You are here now. But you transcend even time and you dwell in all eternity. Our Father who art in heaven. That's what we're praying. 
when we say those words. You could continue to fill that out in your own way. All right, next one, Monday, hallowed be your name. Hallowed and holy, share roots. You are worthy of all honor. You're worthy of all praise. You're worthy of our whole lives. That's what we're saying when we say, hallowed be your name. You alone, God, you alone are good. You alone are the true one. You alone are supremely beautiful. We're ravished by you, God. That's what we're just saying when we say, hallowed your holiness and your beauty. Next one, Tuesdays, we might pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This one might be the most common type of prayer prayer category. This is the prayer that speaks to all of our, our petitions for God to do something in this world. Because this world, even when I say our world, I mean even my own life, my own situation, relationships, work, whatever, and our world, global, anything that's not the way that we know it ought to be, and we're crying out to God to enter into that situation, that's this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we want up there to come down here. Now, even up there is just a way that we imagine what we're talking about because God is not up, God is not located in a kind of cosmic GPS way where we could go and and travel and they're like, there he is, you know. He's not up there, but it's a way of saying he transcends our awareness of space and time. He's beyond all of that, but he also interpenetrates our space and time. And he does that in the incarnation. And, and there's this kind of interpenetration of our world and God's. And so we say, God, would you, would you enter in to the situation here? Would you break that whatever plane that we sometimes perceive exists between spiritual and material, between the heavens and the earth? And would you enter into our very embodied earthly existence and situation and the conflicts and disease of this world? the broken relationships of this, what would you come and would you bring about your kingdom among us and let your will be done? That's the cry of the heart behind this prayer. All right, on Wednesdays, we say, give us today our daily bread. This is a reference uh, most directly to literally our basic human needs, food, shelter, uh, relationship, Basic human needs, would you provide for me, God? So we might be praying this as a subsistence prayer. Basic subsistence, God, I need your help with these basic needs. This also is a prayer that would capture our other kinds of financial and material needs that are necessary to walk through something that we think God has called us to. So God, you're leading me down this path. This is going to require some provision, and so we can pray for provision for the things he's called us to. Maybe that's your tuition. You feel like God has led you to seek the training and the education and where he's directing you in life, and he's taken you down this path, and you're, and you're crying out to him and saying, God, would you provide now for the thing that you've called me to? Maybe you're starting a new venture, some kind of new business venture, or some kind of further training in the world, and you're saying, God... I think this is what you're calling me to, and so I'm looking to you for provision. It's a provision prayer. Next one, forgive us our debts. 
This is confession and humility and the fact that we daily need to come before the Lord. Every one of us, every day, somewhere in our thoughts or in our words or in our actions, we have fallen short. Every day, every one of us. So we just come to God and frequently say, God, I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that you are God and I am not and I have failed in some way to, to be all that you made be created me. So we come in confession, and we know we can do that confidently, not in a kind of um, heavy, burdened way. We can come confidently because it's his mercy that brings us to that place because he longs to show mercy. He longs to pronounce mercy. I was reading one of the Psalms a few weeks ago in my devotional, and, it, and it, the phrase, it actually says where it says, he longs to show mercy. And I just sat on that for a little while, and I thought, God, I've never thought about this. I've thought about the fact that you're merciful, but there's something about it. He cannot wait to show mercy. It almost gives me this image. I know it's a really a little ridiculous, but kind of like someone sins, and he's like, oh, good, I get to show mercy. You know? <laughs> Not that he desires you know, uh, the sin, but he just cannot wait to pour out his mercy. So he draws us with an awareness of ways that we, we confess, and he is ready to forgive. But then he says to us, go and do likewise. <laughs> who are you holding something against? Who, who do you have something against? Where are, there, where are there grudges? Where are there resentments, bitterness? Who do you need to forgive in your life? And go and show them mercy. Set others free. Don't hold them hostage. You'll set yourself free when you forgive them. You'll also set them free. And we want to become the kind of people as a church who are not easily offended, who don't take up offense quickly. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. Something is said or that could have been taken this way or that way, and, uh, and, and instead of having thin skin, we give the benefit of the doubt, a gracious spirit with each other. And when we have been truly hurt... You know, in some major ways, we do, even there also, the work to forgive. That big kind of forgiveness sometimes takes a long time, and, and we have to choose forgiveness multiple times, and there's not always a one and done, just like that process as we choose to forgive, but over time, God works it through us. All right, the next one, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, and this recognizes that temptation and evil are all around us, and you know, at, at any day and every day, there's just things that happen in this world, and, and sometimes it, it, we're, we're vulnerable to choosing it. Sometimes we're vulnerable to it attacking us, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're both, it works both ways, that evil can just, sometimes it feels like, feel like an attack, but then we're also vulnerable to actually wanting and choosing it, and he's saying, we're saying, God, help me with that. Help me in both of those situations. Protect me, please. Deliver me. So this is a approach. This is Jesus saying this integral prayer that involves the whole cosmos and all creation and your own heart, soul, body, and mind and everything in this world, this prayer covers it all. It says these heaven and earth interpenetrate each other. You are a priest. You stand in between and you hold those two and you lift up the concerns of the world to the Father. And you speak his blessings sometimes 
to others. But sometimes we just don't know how to do that. We struggle, struggle to pray. I have been in places where I could not pray. I just, it, whether it was will, emotion, words, I didn't know how to put it. I just, like, times when I couldn't pray. And one of the things that I want to recommend, that if you're in that place, um, sometimes just a simple sentence will do. There's a wonderful little book on discipleship by former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. And in that book, he has a chapter on prayer. It's a simple book on discipleship, chapter on prayer. And in the section on prayer, he says, if you can't pray, just do this. Just say this one sentence, and here it is. God, make speed to save me. That's it. And move on about your day. He knows where that's coming from. There's a place in you that is feeling something, needing something, and needs deliverance, needs salvation, needs God's presence. And you're just saying, God, make speed. Come quickly. Would you hurry up and come and redeem and restore me? God, make speed to save me. If you don't have words and all you can do is just say that, God hears that. He knows. He knows your heart. And he is a loving father and he responds. I want to go one step further and talk about even when there are no words and what it, how prayer can sometimes be silent. Prayer can sometimes be wordless. Here's the cry of the heart. And I'm going to do that by pointing your attention to the corner over there and that ladder. And um, this brings together a kind of a prayer, Advent, longing for the kingdom to come, and our yearning and sometimes wordless expressions of those desires. So this is a piece that an artist here at Christ Church um, created several years ago. And when I first saw it, it was out in the courtyard I just was, I stood before it and, and just couldn't leave for a long time as I began to contemplate it and, and understand what was happening there. And so let me unpack a little bit for you. We pull this out now every Advent. It's up, it's going to be here for four weeks and then we'll store it into the next Advent and you'll understand somehow it speaks to Advent. But this ladder, it's a ladder and you'll notice at the bottom, it's wide, it's easy to step on that first rung, but as you climb up, you'll notice it starts to get treacherous. You start to put your foot down, and there's nothing there. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like there's nothing there when you put your foot down? If you look at the very top, almost imperceptible, but it's there, is a home. So there's this climb up this ladder. You'll notice then as you get about a third of the way up that there are these baby shoes that are bronzed and hanging over one rung, and you get up, and now not only are there some broken rungs, but it gets more and more narrow and looks harder and harder to climb, and, and then you find another pair of bronzed shoes. So here's what's happening. The artist was working some of their own um, prayers out in this piece, and it had to do with the fact that this artist was not able to have children. And there's a lot of grief there and just a cry of the heart and a longing there. And so these abandoned bronze shoes on the way towards home represent this relinquishment, a letting go and a grieving of something that God has not answered and that it appears he will not. And also the fact that there too speaks that sometimes we 
we let things go and we find later in life there's another round of, of grief and letting it go again. And then we get up to the top and there's home. And the way this applies both to Advent and prayer is Advent is a season of longing and waiting for God to come. And we identify the things that are not right in our own lives or homes or relationships, the things that are not right in this world, and we look to the day when Jesus will come again and all will be made right, where we will know home finally, where he will come in fullness and we shall see him face to face, as we say every week in the, in the liturgy. We long for home and home is there. Now imagine Imagine that same piece and just cut the top off and take home off. Whatever you might be feeling at that thought, imagine living that life and what's at the top. Well, not that. There's nothing there. It just, you're going through this life and that is gone. That represents the hope of the Christian faith. That we are part of a story that has an ending and it's a good ending. We're not nihilists. Uh, we're not living into a void, but there is something. It's far, it's distant, sometimes imperceptible, but if we just keep our eyes on it and keep going up, that day will come where we are in the presence of God. And so one of the reasons that I, I bring this up today as we're talking about prayer in particular is I believe that that artist, as he was making that piece, was in deep prayer. He was being a priest <laughs> in all the fullness of his royal priesthood. And he was offering up himself a living sacrifice to God. And there was not a word spoken. Prayer is this desire, this longing, this yearning. There's a preacher from the 20th century named Harry Fosdick who wrote one of the best books I've read on prayer, The Meaning of Prayer. And in there, he talks about this phrase, the prayer of dominant desire, the prayer of dominant desire, that God hears the inarticulated longings and desires of the heart. And that might get expressed in different ways. It might get expressed that way. But even if it's not, even if we're not artists and, and can't even express it that way, that he's, he identifies those deep longings and desires of the heart and he hears the cry of your heart. It's not all on you. In other words, to get prayer right, use the right words, the right numbers and time of week, the right hours of the week, whatever, in order for him to know the longings and desires of your heart and hear the cries of your heart. It's the prayer of dominant desire. Let's turn to him now in prayer. I want to invite you just to think right now, what is it this Advent? One thing that comes to mind that is the dominant desire of your heart right now. What longing, what yearning, what ache comes spirit and show us. Father, we offer our own hearts up to you, our own deepest longings and desires, our very selves and bodies, and we offer up this world as your priests. We stand in between, 
and we offer up the sorrows and aches of this world to you. Receive our prayers, we ask. And we pray, Jesus, come quickly. Our hearts long for home. Our hearts long for presence, your presence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.